Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. (laughs) Then he said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. God, we thank you for your true word. This is not a myth. This is not just a a general idea. These were literal people, according to your scriptures, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the history of mankind as you designed it and as you intended it. So build faith in our hearts today, not just for what happened, but for what should be happening now. Show us and reveal to us how your word lights up our life in this moment, how in the year 2023, you have relevant truth that will bless us, that will grow us, that will help us to enjoy your ideals so that we can be who you've called us to be, and so that you would receive glory and that your kingdom would be represented well, just like we prayed for your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, make it so in our marriages. Make it so in our households. Make us men and women who, who are strong in faith, who are strong in conviction, and who are wise in their application of your word. So bless us and strengthen us all through it. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Marriage is the bedrock. It is the, it is the foundation stone for civilization. It's the first thing that the Lord starts with. He begins with it right away in Genesis. What do we do? How do we start building civilization? We see he didn't start with the, the civil magistrate or the governments as we reference them. We see that he didn't start with the church or uh, establishing his, his law. Now, he did have law with Adam, but that's, this isn't the starting point necessarily as far as an authority structure. It's the family. It's the household. This is the building block for all civilization. Even if you were a non-believer, even if you didn't like or, or, or you wanted to pretend the Bible wasn't true, marriage is a good and right thing. So we encourage marriage for everybody. We want to see non-believers marry. Why? Because it's still the right thing for the right reason. You, if you love someone, you want what's best for them. So whether or not they're loving and following the Lord, we would still say we want people to marry because it's good for them and it's still the Lord's will. It's still a way for them to practice the devotion and image and pick and 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 bring a physical expression to the spiritual truths that the Lord has. Everything that's happening in the world should always be bringing God glory in that way. We see He does this right away, just like we saw with man. Man, His perfect expression finds itself right away in being a husband. The same is true for a wife. We'll get there in a few minutes. But let's notice something else about Eve. Whenever Eve is created, she is never without a covering. Right away, a woman goes from her father and she is given to her husband. Her father brings her to her husband. We still do this in our wedding ceremonies. 
And it's supposed to represent and symbolize what's actually taking place. It's not supposed to be just an empty, empty tradition. Oftentimes, there have been many reasons, a lot of issues, a lot of sin, a lot of ignorance on our parts. So there have been many, many reasons where a father may have just walked his daughter down the aisle exclusively as a tradition because that's what you do in a wedding ceremony. But ideally, it's picturing saying, I really have been blessing and covering her. That could look different ways, but it still means she knows and he knows this man is my covering. A woman has a man as her covering, as a gift, as a blessing, as a protection. And then he's saying, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And it's a very new and modern thing where he says, her mother and I. But the ancient thing would be, I do. I do. Her head, her covering, her father, I am giving her. I'm saying, I'm her protector, her provider, her leader. Now, this man is. And it breaks a father's heart. And at the same time, like Gordon and Linda, it's the right thing at the right time. It's, oh, and it's yes, it's good, and it can be difficult, but it's the Lord's will so that everyone is blessed and receiving his best. So it's not just to be an empty tradition, but it's to point to something good and beautiful. As we said, a husband and wife are their own family. We see a husband and wife should cling to one another. They should leave their father and mother. Husband and wife are their own family right away. Their own family. It's not when they have kids they become family. A husband and wife become a family and in that moment. Well, we love our parents too. Absolutely we do. Well, you should honor your father and mother. Absolutely you should. That will never change. And yet their headship and their covering, that role does change. That role does look different. This is where all the young, all the young couples are like, yeah, send it. And all the older couples are like, be careful. You, know, you, you don't go too far with that because that's the temptation. Like we want our, we want our children close and the children are saying, hey, we, we, we should have some independence here. We navigate that with wisdom as we honor our father and mother. But we rejoice in the fact that a husband and wife come together right away as their own family. Women were made, we see right away, to be wives. Just like a man was made to be a husband, a woman was made to be a wife. A woman's natural design is to be a wife. The design of, of woman, helper, life giver, beautifier, and glorifier, it finds its perfect expression as a wife and mother right away. This is the duh. This is the obvious. This is a man is to protect and to provide and lead. Who? His wife and children. That's, you get to give your masculinity as your gift. A woman is to be the helper, the life giver, and the beautifier. Well, who am I supposed to support in this? Your husband, your household, your children. This is the good thing to rejoice in. So this is the starting point. But now we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read a couple of sections here so you'll be able to hop around with me. We're skipping over husbands. They had their turn last week. Ladies, is going to feel very one-sided today. That's because it is. Just like last week was, today will be as well. There will be correction and there will be encouragement. What we all need at all times. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then you can look also at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we were given household, co- household codes here by Paul. Peter does the same thing. We've got multiple places in the New Testament where I told you before, in Genesis we get all good doctrine, but it's in seed form. It's not the tree fully sprouted. Like it's the orange seed, but you don't have an orange to eat yet. So 
Um, so you have to be careful. You don't want to just take something in Genesis and run with it. You go, hang on, that will be proven out throughout the rest of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You might, I think it means that. Okay, then that needs to be proven out through the rest of the scriptures. We let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So we want, we want the whole Bible to tell us the truth. I don't want to take off running with one verse. I'm going to say, what does the whole of scripture really teach? Not, do you have a verse for that? But what does the word of God teach? What does the word of God reveal? But in the New Testament, we get explicitly plain on what, what is often called household codes. What does it look like for husband, wife, children, servants? And here these household codes have been explicitly laid out. Servants are told to obey. Now why in the world would servants have to be reminded to obey? Well, maybe because they're tempted to disobey, right? This is obvious stuff. Children are told to honor their father and mother. Why in the world would you have to tell children to honor their father and mother? Gee golly, I wonder. Well, it's because obviously they're tempted to dishonor and to disobey their father and mother. Husbands are told to love their wives and be gentle with them. Why in the world would a husband have to be told to love his wife and be gentle with her? I can't imagine. It's obvious. It's because we have a temptation to not do those things. And then wives are told to submit and respect their husbands. Submit to and respect their husbands. And the word respect is actually... Uh, the word reverence would be more accurate. We, there's a lot of words that are used there that um, the modern translations have said, we're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, but it tip, it's, almost always, it's almost always that word respect in that passage, almost always throughout the New Testament, go look it up for yourself, refers to fear, with fear and trembling as to God. And the modern writers are like, actually, let's... Oh, so every other occasion it was fear, and in this occasion it's this. Well, I, I can understand why we would make that change, but we can't do it because we're afraid of people. We should do it because we want to be more accurate. That's the thing. That's the motive. That's the reason. So we want to understand that a husband is not God, and yet the Holy Spirit still saw fit to use the same kind of word. So a wife is not to fear her husband in the same way necessarily that we would fear God because a husband is not God, and yet there is certainly a reverence that the Lord wanted to communicate there. So husbands are not God. We're not confusing our information here or mixing up what the passage says, but we understand that a wife is to reverence her husband. Now, why in the world would a wife have to be told these things? I can't imagine. Well, of course, it's because this is her temptation as well. So each of these different commands are given to different people, but they're all given to bless everybody involved. The household codes, as they're called, are a blessing to everyone. It's win, 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 win. We understand that with our children all the time. We tell our children all the time, like, if you just knew, if you just understood, like, all I'm after here is your best. Everything I do, everything I say, it's always for your good. I have no motive apart from your thriving life. A loving husband says that to his wife. I have no motive apart from you thriving, you being blessed, you enjoying God's very best, and you walking in the, in the highest pleasures of the Lord. So this is good news. And wives have, in addition to that, they have an incredible motive that's laid out here. Where husbands get to show everyone how Jesus loves the church, wives get to show everyone how the church submits to Christ. Mm. Ephesians 5, 24 again. Now as the church submits to Christ. So how do you think the church submits to Christ? That's the way that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. In everything, as he puts it. So wives have this motive where they get to preach the gospel through their behavior. This instruction is for you, but it's not only for you. There's more happening here at stake than just your own marriage. Well, 
we, we function like this, or we like to function like that, or my husband's personality, or my personality. We're not talking personalities. We're talking God's best, God's ideals. We're talking about what is actually best for everybody. <laughs> not, not, what my, what, not what I'm per- personally tempted to, not what I would personally prefer, but what God really wants, what God really believes is best and knows is perfect for, for human flourishing and for his glory. So there's more happening here than just what we think or what we prefer. Our marriage is supposed to be all about Jesus. So if our marriage is all about Jesus, people should be able to look in your life. They should be able to look at a Christian wife and go, that is the picture of how the church submits to Christ. There's a beauty, there's a trust, there's a surrender. So wives, if you ever wonder about your submission to your husband, you should ask yourself, how does the church submit to Christ? Then in the same way, submit in everything to your husband, just like a husband could do. Oh, how, how am I loving my wife? Well, how does Christ love the church, brother? What's that look like? Okay, well, that's how to love your wife. That's the picture. That's the starting point. So what does a good wife look like? Or what does a bad wife look like? The scripture tells us a lot about both. And I'm going to read this to you. I'm not going to have you follow me and, and flip around everywhere. You can certainly make note of these. And if you can keep up, you're welcome to. But in Proverbs 12, verse 4, scripture says, An excellent wife is the crown of of her husband. Exactly what Gordon was talking about earlier. A crown on his head. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So we got two extremes. The crown of her husband, glorious. Gold, rare metals, precious metals, beautiful gemstones, glorifying and magnifying, making much of, or just the opposite, decay and sucking out his very source of life. As a crown brings gladness and beauty, in the same way a wife magnifies her husband's authority. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says tells us that woman is the glory of man. So what else can we understand from this? And these scriptures are often cited by commentaries and even in cross-references. They always say, hey, if you're here, you mu- this, this connects directly to this passage. This connects to this passage. So this idea of crowning is the idea of glorifying. Woman is the glory of man. Well, what does that mean? Well, your radiance blesses and glorifies your husband. Like a magnificent crown adorns the king who wears it, an excellent wife enhances her husband. Every man knows that's the case. Wives are to be a glorious manifestation of the very best of their husbands. And they are to bring their husbands their own very best. So the idea of the crown on the king... Is he still a king without the crown? Well, sure, but he's glorified by it. He is magnified by it. A wife is a force multiplier. She makes a man more than he is on his own. So what, what can a wife do? What should she apply herself to? How do I be his crown? Well, you should find ways to support and get creative to accomplish your husband's mission. He is the king, to, to borrow from that example in Proverbs, if, if I'm his crown, what would it look like? Well, it's the opposite of the modern language. Well, I know the Bible says the husband's the head, but I'm the neck. <laughs> oh, ultimately saying, I'm going to control him and, and get my way and do what I want, as opposed to being the crown. Adorning and enjoying the authority and the blessing of the king's kingdom. Participating in it, but not being the king, not being the neck, not being the one who is manipulating and controlling the king. So what should you do? You want to help your husband accomplish his mission. You want to get creative and find ways to help him expand and do the things that God has called him to do. Well, my husband doesn't have a mission, might be the the quick rebuttal. 
Well, then here's what you do as a wife. You submit to him by telling him that you want to support him in his vision for the family and for the household. Ask him how you can do that. That will put the appropriate pressure on him and it will show him that you are not leading. God is going to set some of you women free just with that idea in itself to go, well, how do I get him to, how do I get him to, how do I get him to? You don't get him to. You don't. Be free. It's not your burden. That's right. He has a head and you're not it. Okay. I want to be a beautiful crown. And now you're learning how you submit and defer to him. Hey, I want to support your vision for this household. What does that instantly do inside of a man? Uh Oh, <laughs> vision for a household. Like, so she hasn't dis- disrespected him in any way. She's honored him. She has put herself under him, which by the way, you see all through the scriptures. When someone comes to a king, other men coming to the king going, Oh, king live forever. Oh, king, like even if I disagree with him, you see a deference, you see a respect, you see an honor. David's saying, we're going to take a census. We're going to do a survey. And Joab's going, may all the servants of the kingdom be yours forever. May they multiply a thousand times. Mm. So even man to man, we, sh- we see submission. Well, I'm too good for that. Then you're too good to be like Jesus who submitted to the will of the father, who laid down his own life to glorify someone else. Everybody gets to be like Jesus. Husbands get to be like Jesus in the fact that they love. Man, I'm getting ahead. I'm preaching a few weeks' sermons away. Y'all, look what y'all are doing. But this is good news. We all get to be like Christ in this way. But, we're, but as a wife, you don't want to be the wife who is controlling. You want to be the wife who is yielding and showing him, I'm deferring to you. I'm trusting in you. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be the man of the house anymore, ladies. Amen, amen. You get to be the wife. So what am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to create a leadership void in that example anyway. Create a leadership void for him to fill. What if he doesn't? Well, that's the temptation. That is the fear. That's the fear that oftentimes can lead you to then your next step of trying to control, trying to force something to happen. But what if he doesn't? Well, you're a woman of God who laughs at the future. And we're going to see this together here in a few minutes. You walk by faith and not by sight. You trust God and you dwell securely. You're like Sarah who honored her husband Abraham, and you don't fear anything that is frightening. These are the commands to wives. These are the commands. Why? Because the Lord knows that temptation. Submission is difficult. Headship is difficult. Everybody's got challenges, and in their own flesh, there's temptations that come along with it. And yet the Lord says, you can do this. You can do this. Be like Sarah, who didn't fear anything that was frightening. Well, Sarah had a, a lot of crazy stuff happen. Her husband made a lot of stupid mistakes, really bad stuff. Like it's hard to, hard to fathom how Abraham made some of the decisions that he did. But the scripture, that same passage in Peter says she deferred to him, submitting to him, even calling him Lord. What else are we told to do? What, What else do we see a wife does? A wife is to not bring him shame. None of you want to be rottenness in your husband's bones. Why not? Because you're a life giver. It's the opposite of what your God-designed nature is, and yet it's what the flesh would still be tempted to. Why? Most likely, most of the time, it's because of fear. Oftentimes, that fear can become a stronghold, and it becomes an operating system for a woman. It's the operating system that she doesn't even know she has. It's like the person who's used Windows their whole life on their computer. They don't even know Windows is an operating system. They can't fathom anything else. It's just... It's computers, right? Well, actually, you're operating in a system right now. No, no, no. This is just the way things are. Maybe, but maybe not. Many wives have put on an operating system, 
And they don't even recognize that this operating system is control. They don't recognize this operating system is, is built from a, place, a stronghold of fear where they're trying to, what can I do? How can I manipulate? How can I, how can I, use, how can I use my influence in the bedroom to get him to do what I want? How can I nag him enough to get him to go my direction? How can I get him to? Because they don't understand the freedom and the surrender and the Holy Spirit work that will happen in her husband as she defers to him. They haven't been told the truth about the power of actually being a woman because it's different from the power of being a man. Women are told to be powerful, and yet they're told to be powerful by acting like a man. And it makes them miserable. It's a heavy burden, and it makes men miserable. It's rottenness in a man's bones. But the good news is women are powerful when they behave like women, when they act like a feminine, surrendered wife. It's a beautiful thing. So what you want to do is create that leadership void, but you don't want to bring him shame. You seek to bring him honor. Even if I don't think he's honorable, especially if you don't think he's honorable. Because first, this is the will of God, but second, honoring a husband gives him the very best chance of living up to that crown. That's his best chance. I tell men this all the time in the counseling work that I do. How do I get her to, how do I get her to, how do I get her? Brother, you can't get her to. You can't. You lead with strength and love. You lead her with compassion, with responsibility, and an authority that shows her that you're doing what you believe is best for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing, brother. What if, what if, what if, hey, all we can do is walk in our obedience. But brother, this is her best chance at submission. This is her best chance at maturity. This is her best chance at growth. What if she, nothing is a guarantee. You don't get to control her. She gets to cast her own vote. And the same thing needs to be said to wives. You don't get to control him. It is not an absolute guarantee. And yet it is, it is his best chance at living. What if I'm this beautiful, wonderful crown and he never, oh no. What if you walk in obedience to the Lord? Oh no. What if I do all this loving God and maturing as a woman of God and... That in itself is its own reward, sister. That in itself is the blessing of God on your life. And he is still accountable to his head. And he is accountable to his head. And that is a fearful thing. We'll talk about that when we talk about headship, when we talk about submission in the next couple weeks. So especially if you don't think he's honorable, especially if you don't think he's respectable. I've heard many wives over the years, I know I'm supposed to respect my husband, but what if he's not respectable? But I've never once in my entire life had a husband ask me, I know I'm supposed to love my wife, but what if she's not lovable? I just haven't heard it. Maybe there's some dude who said it. There probably is. But we've got the passage plainly written, love your wife, respect your husband. And husbands are like, yeah, I need to. And wives are like, but hang on now. I feel like there needs to be some disclaimer here. Like, well, the Lord didn't. So let's continue. What does it look like to honor him? Do you brag on him or do you mock him? Do you celebrate him or do you condemn him? Do you defer to him or do you oppose him? Are you crowning him or are you being wrought in his bones? Scripture says in Proverbs 21 verse 9, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Okay, you would think we would get the point, right? Well, he says it again in 21 verse 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Okay, we got it. No, no, there's more. 27 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Well, I'm not quarrelsome. I just know the right way to do things and he doesn't. (laughs) I'm not quarrelsome. I'm just trying to help. I'm not foolish. He just won't listen. I'm not difficult. 
He just doesn't see what needs to happen. I'm not always right. He just doesn't think. Every man's blood pressure is rising right now as I'm, here, as I'm saying these things. He feels the bone rot. He's like, Ugh. get it out. So as a wife, as a woman, you have particular temptations. You have particular temptations for sins like fear, like control, like manipulation, like rebellion, and like not being content. These are particular towards you. Men have sins that are particular towards them, and we're all capable of all of them. And yet, there are some that we're going to have a proclivity towards. But these are sins to be shunned because there's something beautiful to be pursued. Just like we, we talked before in Ephesians, we put off the old man. That's a real temptation, and yet we've got to put off that old man. And what do we do? We've got to put on the new. So what does it look like to honor? What does it look like to bless? Well, honor is not a neutral thing. A crown is not a neutral thing. A crown is a radiant thing. It's powerful and it's active. The church isn't neutral when it comes to the Lord Jesus. He rebukes the church in Revelation saying we should be hot or we should be cold. Otherwise, we're disgusting to him. Sounds like rottenness in his bones. A wife should not be neutral when it comes to her husband. She should actively seek his good and the good of his household. No godly wife, like we said, wants to be right in his bones. Why? Because you are a life giver. It's what you're made for. Mm-hmm. That is your true identity. You go, huh, there's a freedom there. There's a blessing there. There is an utter relief to the surrender of a wife. So what does this look like? It looks like encouraging him. No husband has ever complained of being over-encouraged. I don't think any wife has ever either. No man has ever said, my wife builds me up too much. But what do men want? Men want to be impressive. We want to impress you. Be impressed. Find a way to be impressed. Well, I wish he would. I know. I know you wish. And I know you've got standards. And I know you've got expectations. But be impressed with what he's given. He wants to give you more. He loves you. He probably feels condemnation and guilt and weight that he hasn't been able to do more yet. And he thinks he should be farther along. He feels all these things. All the men are thinking, well, yeah, of course. And she's thinking, yeah, but I just wish. I would just be happy when. Be happy now. Be content, be pleased, be impressed, be blessed. We love to give to you. We want to give to you. We want to give you the whole wide world. So be thankful, be an encourager. Find opportunities, find ways to learn how to be impressed with him. Admire him. This is one way that you bring him life. A discouraged husband Many a discouraged husband has been resurrected by the words of a kind and faithful wife. You're looking at one of them. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. Gordon cried. I'm not going to cry, even though I'm tempted to cry. So I can't tell any stories right now. Many a discouraged husband can be resurrected by the words of a kind and faithful wife. If that's not power, I don't know what is. That's more powerful than a corner office. Yes. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 31. The beautiful picture, the high calling. One of the greatest things, it's one of my greatest joys, one of the things that lights me up the most when I'm doing the coaching is when I'm just trying to get across to guys the bigness and the high calling and the majesty of, of being the captain of their ship, the, the family captain, as we call it. 
and, and all that goes into the leadership and the pleasure that they're going to experience. Because that's the thing. They don't yet know. They've only been told that it's a burden and they're only thinking about it as a checklist. Like, I got to clock in at work. I got to clock in with my wife. I got to clock in with the kids. Everybody wants their piece of me. And so it's this perspective where this guy is like living life as an employee of everything and everybody instead of the captain or the king of it all and enjoying the pleasure of rulership and recognizing that he gets to cultivate and create good fruit in all of it. And it's a switch. And when he gets it, everything becomes exciting. I love talking to wives in the same way to say, you've been lied to, and there's so much beauty, pleasure, and reward available to you as you're able to embrace this here. So here in Proverbs, we've had letters from a father to his son, and we've continued to get words of, of the king. Here in Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So this was actually taught to a king, by his mother, and now, of course, he's continuing to pass this on to his son. We're in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31 is what we'll read. The woman who fears the Lord is the heading, but verse 10 reads, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. So what am I, just a crown? I'm just decorations? No, it's just a comparison. You're worth far more than rubies. You're worth far more than jewels. You're worth far more than precious metals. You're worth far more than just your physical beauty, although you are physically beautiful. And that's a good thing, and it's not to be apologized for or hidden away. What else do we know about her? The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Wow. Richness, life, health in this man's life. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens, for her servants. She considers a field and she buys it. Very oppressed woman here, right? She's just considering property and buying it. Yeah, not the, not the narrative that we would hear in the modern day. Why? Because the heart of her husband trusts her. Why? Because she's such a faithful and trustworthy crown. She's so obviously supportive and doing good for his household. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands to hold the spindle. She opens her hand up to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Her whole household is wearing designer clothing. Not to make a fashion statement, but because of her diligent work and and wealth that she has contributed to her household. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. And when he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. This is like Sarah, not fearing anything that is frightening. What about I laugh at the days to come, says the godly woman, says the godly wife. Why? Because I have a heavenly father. I trust him, and as I walk in obedience to him, he cares for me. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, he says, but you 
surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting or beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Hallelujah. That's exactly what Gordon was doing with Linda earlier. Let the work, let the work that she's done, the fruit speaks for itself. Look at her husband. Look at her husband. In the same way, I can say, to a, I can say let me look at your wife, and that'll tell me how you are as a husband. I can say, look at the husband. That'll tell me something. Does he live on the rooftop? That communicates something. Does he like wandering in the desert for long stretches of time? <laughs> that might communicate something. But this godly wife, what a rich, rich blessing she brings. Turn to Titus chapter 2, over to the New Testament again. Titus 2, verse 3. We got another set of household codes here in the New Testament. More instruction, more breakdown. Just a lot of the repeating stuff. Husbands are always told to love, wives are always told to submit and respect. And the connection is always made so that the Lord gets glory and so that the word of God doesn't suffer blasphemy or rebuke. Titus chapter 2. So you're going to find 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So what are you supposed to do as an older man? You're supposed to train the younger men. What are you supposed to do as an older woman? You're supposed to train the younger women. And what exactly are you supposed to train them in if you're a woman? Older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God may not be reviled. This is profound. So we see when we combine Proverbs 31, the very specific, the very practical, when we combine Titus 2, the very specific, the very practical, we get this detailed instruction to Christian wives. What are they supposed to be? Well, we see this woman as a reverent woman, as opposed to what? As opposed to a loud woman, as opposed to a foolish woman. She's not into the mommy wine culture of Instagram. She's a sober woman, and she wears dignity and strength as her clothing. She's not a busybody. She's not a gossip. She loves her husband and she loves her children. She's self-controlled and therefore she's trusted by her husband. She's submissive to her husband and she's kind to him. She's diligent and she's not lazy. She's a producer and she's not a consumer. What else is she? She is not afraid. Praise God. What a creature. What a crown. What a woman. This is the kind of woman that the speaker, the writer of Proverbs there was saying, son, this is what you're looking for. You read Proverbs all throughout. Lady wisdom and the foolish woman are compared and contrasted over and over. Run away from this. This is what you're looking for. Run away from this. This is what you're looking for. But of course he says, an excellent wife, (laughs) who can find? Let it not be said in the church of Jesus that we... Who can find a great husband who loves this way? Who can find a great wife who loves this way? Well, you need to be in a church. That's where you're going to find a husband. That's where you're going to find a wife. Because the standards of the church represent Jesus and the church. We're always representing. 
who he is and what he's done and what his will is. The obvious theme here is that a good wife builds up. She blesses, she supports her husband and her household. Those are the cliff notes. That's the short version. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. I'm not tearing it down. I'm just, is our temptation. But the good news, ladies, is women have power in their design, in their role as helper. And a godly wife, like I said, is a force multiplier. So a force multiplier is used a lot of times whenever you're thinking about combat or conflict. Man on man, fist on fist. All right, it's just you versus me. We'll see what happens. You pull out a baseball bat. All right, that's a force multiplier. You just change the rules of the game. More can be accomplished now than than could have been before. Okay, you pull out a firearm. All right, that is another. That is the, the epitome of a force multiplier. So that now a lot more can be accomplished than could be accomplished before. This is what a wife is. A godly wife is a force multiplier for the life of her husband. To say, I can bless, I can expand, I can do more. I'm going to help this man. But I'm not going to do it by being his mother. I'm going to do it by being his wife. She makes a man more than he was. She makes a home more than it was. She makes life more than it was. And with her beautiful obedience, she shows the world and the church how to follow and glorify our great God and Savior Jesus. Because she is always showing everybody, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Husband gets to say, here's how Jesus loves the church. And wife says, here's how the church responds to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all preaching. These marriages, as good and as rich as they can and should be, they're going to come to an end. And they were always pointing to the perfect marriage of Christ and his bride. Hallelujah. It's good to be a wife, ladies. If you're a wife, it's good to be a wife. Enjoy your role. Walk in it fully. Repent when necessary and continue to glorify God as you obey his word towards your husband. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your ways that are perfect, your ways that are true. We thank you for the right side up kingdom in this upside down world. Continue to establish your will and your way. God, make the marriages in this church continue to thrive as husbands love like Jesus, as wives submit like the church, and as everybody wins. These win-win scenarios where we get to preach the gospel with our actions in addition to our words. I plead the blood of Jesus over these households, over these marriages, and over the, the loved ones that we're thinking about, the ones that we want to bless, the ones that we're responsible for educating and training the ones who, who we want influence in their lives, for the marriages that we have in mind right now, who we know are missing out on your very best. God, we lift them up to you right now, and we ask that you would bring revival in our households. Start with us. Get the log out of our own eye. Help us to walk in obedience to you. Help us to glorify your name and please you in all that we do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for helping us in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.